0: The reading today is taken from Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire.
1: Thank you very much, Um, Hannah. Now, just before we turn to Hebrews, just an update for us to to pray for. Um, We're hugely uh, privileged and glad to have folks from Ukraine with us, as you are aware, Um, and uh, to pray for their families back in Ukraine. Anna and her family are here, and we're delighted uh, to have them. Uh, Anna's uh, mum and dad, uh, there's been no contact with them for... Uh, since March. And, but just very recently, um, contact has been restored. Anna's mum and dad are alive. They are uh, prisoners of war. They are uh, in uh, Russia and will be um, evacuated somewhere in Russia or sent back to the Ukraine. One thing that it seems the Russian authorities are doing is if people have a relative in Russia and obviously, there are lots of crossovers. they will uh, send that person to live with the relative in Russia, perhaps with the aim that they become citizens of uh, Russia, but nonetheless a safe place to live and There is a distant relative that they have and but connecting that up is a complex and bureaucratic process, but they are alive, and uh, many uh, are not so why don't we just Uh, bear that family uh, to the Lord in prayer now and beyond and pray that the connection with that relative will be where they go and they will be uh, uh, safe there Lord thank you for the folks from Ukraine who are with us in Chalmers and thank you for the way that helps us understand the real life family situations that are going on there thank you very much that Anna's parents are alive and that contact has been restored We pray for their safety as prisoners of war, whatever that means, and pray for the process to take them to evacuation centres and then to house them, that there would be a connection made with this distant relative and they would be able to live there for a time. But Lord, they are far from home and their family is scattered all over the world. And we pray that your sovereign care would comfort them, and perhaps even some of these great truths from Hebrews, to keep going, to walk another day, to keep trusting, because Jesus is with them. May these truths be impressed on their hearts, and ours now as we turn to your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, please turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles. It does really help us if you have your Bible open, particularly because of the way that uh, Hebrews works as an author as he moves the pastor. It's good to call the author of Hebrews the pastor or the, the, the minister because that's the nature of his uh, writing um, uh, to us. Uh, we come very soon to the end of our studies in Hebrews. And we have two more Sundays after today. Um, it's rare uh, for uh, me to be, as we come to the end of a Bible book, particularly uh, after so long in it, um, I'm normally excited about getting on to the next thing. But uh, when it comes to Hebrews, I'm anxious about getting to the end. And the reason for that is that so many of us have found it to be immensely encouraging pastorally it's not been easy it's hard to get your head around but it has made more entries in my diary than any other book pastorally Hebrews inspires endurance and faithfulness in the face of every form of testing and trouble and every day that's a quote I came across this week Hebrews inspires endurance and faithfulness in the face of every form of testing and trouble and every day. And, and that, of course, raises the stakes of the Bible. Would it be appropriate to, if we could speak to Anna's parents to say, if you read the book of Hebrews... It will inspire endurance and faithfulness in the face of every form of testing and trouble every day. And we send that with confidence because it's true. And for all of us, for some of you in particular at the moment, and how does Hebrews do that? You may remember very early on in one of the first talks on Hebrews, consider Jesus. We didn't really realize what was ahead. But as we have considered him, we have grown more confident in him. And when you sing a song like He Will Hold Me Fast, we understand much more now of what that means. Consider Jesus and listen to his word that we might endure and be faithful in the face of every form of testing and trouble every day. The application of Hebrews is for some of us now. But I promise you, I promise you that you and I and all of us need to store up the precious truths for this book because we will need them. We will need them again and again. And when the hardest times come, they will be for us the reason we keep walking and not turn away from Jesus. So please use these remaining weeks on Sundays and in your small groups and the summer to listen back, to allow God to cement these truths deep into your minds and hearts for now and for the future. Now, if you just have a glance at Hebrews chapter 12, it is a wonderful chapter. And uh, the truth is that when you preach through a chapter of the Bible, it's about when you come halfway through that you understand. Well, you do your best, but it gets easier when you uh, look back. It's a wonderful and an important structure, Hebrews chapter 12. So, uh, in my notes, um, uh, some of you will, uh, if your English is not your first language, you're going to get our sermons and you're going to see in my notes all sorts of strange things. Um, highlighter pen, effectively. So it's a, great, um, it's a great tip when you're studying the Bible or reading it to have a highlighter pen. You need at least three colors. Um, that might sound silly. It might sound kind of forensic or analytical, but it's a brilliant way of uh, seeing how a Bible writer works. So I've got a yellow highlighter pen. If you just look in Hebrews 12, verse uh, one is in yellow because it's something we are to do. We are to lay aside every weight. Remember, that's just stuff that distracts us, not sinful, just mispriorities in life. And the sin, that is disobedience to God. That's a command, isn't it? We're to do something. And then uh, from verse 2 through verse uh, 11 uh, is in gray. Okay, because that's stuff that God is doing or about who he is. So when we uh, are to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run the race that is set before us, Uh, immediately our minds are focused on looking to Jesus, who went first and who is with us, and consider uh, him. And then you get all this stuff in verses uh, 4 through 11 about uh, being uh, under the, the discipline of God as we battle with hostility against us and sin in our own hearts, and and to realize that God is at work in and through that in our lives, pressing us, speaking into our conscience. And this is all what God is doing. And then in yellow again, verses 12 through 6, 17, therefore, let your drooping hands lift. And that's something we've got to do. And uh, strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths. Strive for peace. Be holy. Be godly. Cut out uh, dissension, the root of bitterness, sexual immorality. Deal with it. Stop it. Don't go there. Don't go there. Yellow command. And then verse 18, where Hannah began to read back to gray. For this is stuff that God has done and doing in your life. Okay, verse 25, back to yellow. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Verse 26 and 27, back to gray, what God is going to do. Verse 28, back to yellow, what we are to do. Then let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And verse 29, that wraps it all up, back to gray, what God has done. So, That is a cast-iron positive reason that you need two highlighter pens when you... Please don't think that's a kind of forensic exercise or some kind of academic approach to the Bible. It is merely understanding what the author is trying to do. And why is that important? Because if you pick out of Hebrews 12 all the commands, do this, do this, do this, do this, we are one inch away from the default understanding in our minds, I do this in order to be accepted, viewed by God, by God. It's not how it works. It's God is doing this, therefore get on and do what God is doing in your life. So if God is working in our hearts to discipline us, bringing us under the conviction of his word, the application is to get on to that track and walk the Christian life. Just live a holy life. Be active in light and in line with what God is doing in your life. So important to get that right. And today, um, especially, uh, we must uh, be clear as to what God is doing before we consider what we are to do. Now, if you look at the outline on the service sheet, I tried to uh, illustrate that um, by, by showing, if you look at uh, Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, and I've done well this week to print it on A5 after last week, um, I had to get Laura to give me special instructions that they worked um, you'll see there are points one, two, and three, the gist of it. You see what I've tried to set out, how it works. So it begins, what we know about God and his purposes, and it's all quite confusing what we are told. Now, we'll explain that. Once we get our heads around this comparison between the Old Testament and New Zion, and Z- Sinai, that's such an important truth. And on the back of that, and in light of that, and because of that, verse 25, what we are to do. And then we go back to some truth about God and his purposes. How he shook the earth then and he will shake the earth with a bigger shake in time. And therefore, what are we to do? And then what we know about God and his purposes, that our God is a consuming fire. Verse 29. You see how it works. And if, you, if we get that wrong, then we're going to go away Frightened to death by these words our God is a consuming fire if we get it right we'll go away and walk on another day confident that Jesus is walking with us and that's reflected um, in the title I've given this we're trying to find titles that that um, that are about exhortation but what we have and i've gone for kept so keep going so we're kept so keep going Uh, we're kept so keep going now if that helps you it's helped me to summarize it that way so let's get stuck in um now let's let's start by what we know about god and his purposes Uh, sinai versus zion it's not a snappy title um, but it's not hard really to understand what's going on, verses 18 to 24. Let me explain. As an encouragement to persevere in the ways that he is outlining in this chapter, the pastor or the writer compares and contrasts, comparison, uh, the approach of or, or what happened when the Israelites met God at Mount Sinai back in the Old Covenant, and that's verses 18 to 21, uh, with um, the approach to God that is now possible and for us um, at Mount Zion, which is referred to the city of the living God, the heavenly uh, uh, Jerusalem now let 's look first of all at what happened back in the old covenant at Mount Sinai. Now, if this is uh, really new to you, might not be a christian uh, this is um, this is um, What happened, uh, it's recorded in the book of uh, Exodus, uh, when God uh, called the people to... And we're going to be in that realm as we study through Genesis. So we're going to be back in the the old covenant. And uh, uh, wonderful stuff happened as God called the people to himself. But much, 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 much more wonderful stuff we have in in Jesus. So let's read what happened back then. For you have not come... we're, We're much better than this, but let's think of them... For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, a storm, and the sound of a trumpet and voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, that's very emotive. It engages our emotions and affections. And I'd encourage you to go back and read Exodus, uh, the sort of central chapter's, um, Exodus 19 through 24, about when God came down uh, on that mountain and met with his people and spoke to them. And it's scary. Just read the drama of it. Exodus 19 to 24. Now, there, we're going to look at some of the details in our passage and then go above the trees for the others. And We've started above the trees to get the big picture. Let's come down and look at the individual things. Just look at these verses. And there are seven terms that describe what happened when God came down on that mountain called Sinai in the occasion. First one is what may be touched. It's earthly. It's in the earthly realm. Blazing fire. When God spoke from the fire, it was a manifestation of his glory and his majesty which threatened to consume those who witnessed it. Darkness, gloom, tempest betray a scene of terror and death. The sound of a trumpet, a voice, a voice. That was so overwhelming and the content of what was spoken was so overwhelming that the hearers begged that, quote, no further messages be spoken to them. And if you read Exodus, the people acknowledged the grace of God in speaking to them, but so aware they were of their vulnerability and afraid of being consumed by the great fire, they, they knew they needed somebody to stand between them and God, a, a mediator or a, a go-between. And then uh, the text, our writer focuses on a, uh, a, a command that is frightening, that they were given if even a beast touches the mountain or if even a beast comes into the presence of God, it must be Stoned. And uh, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he is recalling the the, the gravity and, and the peril of coming before what one writer helpfully describes as the annihilating presence of a holy God. Now, that's not what we have come to. But the God of Sinai is the same. So if we meet God without Christ, we are coming into the annihilating presence of holiness. God never changes. Now, God's words back then were meant to facilitate a relationship with him. But the encounter at Sinai showed the danger of being in his presence and the need for him to provide a means of approach. And then the mediator, I guess, was Moses. Even Moses, verse 21, appointed by God to be the mediator of the covenant. Was fearful of God's holiness and majesty and wrath. Now, you weary Christians, cast down and struggling and discouraged, flirting with the temptation of sin and its fleeting pleasures. You have not come to that mountain. You, verse 22, have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly or church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And please um, don't hear that as you're struggling. You're struggling to walk another day. You don't know how you're going to endure. Don't hear this as come on, sort yourself out. Because look what they had and look what you have. And come on, sort yourself out. There is nothing here other than the love and persuasive tenderness of a holy God and and to say, look, look what you have. Let that help you. Let that inspire you uh, to walk on in the Christian life. Now, Zion, what's going on here in the details? I think that the positive contrast uh, between Israel's situation under the law back then and the situation of those who have come to God through Jesus And in a sense, as Christians, we are already in the heavenly destination. Our home is in heaven. There is no geographical location on the earth where God is. Our home is in heaven. Zion is here for us primarily to be understood as a people, gathered in heaven, all the Christians, all those in the Old Testament who live by faith, safe their souls with God and with Jesus in heaven. Zion, the city of God, that one day will become a physical place when the city of God becomes the city of this world and there is a new heavens and a new earth. We're already there. But the purpose of this vision is to encourage us to keep approaching God in the way that has been provided for us through Jesus with the expectation of all that we will enjoy in eternity. Now Mount Zion is the term used, one or two details on this, to describe the heavenly homeland of God's people, both now and not yet. Earlier in Hebrews it's referred to as a better country, a phrase that makes it into C.S. Lewis in his Narnia books. That's where it comes from, a better country from Hebrews. A city prepared for them, a city that is to come, the world to come, God's rest, the inheritance, an even better resurrection, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, Take a highlighter pen and go through the whole of Hebrews and highlight all the wonderful references to what we have in Christ with his people. The author points to innumerable angels and festal gathering. Uh, as Jay in our sermon prep meeting this week pointed out, that angels haven't made an appearance for a while in Hebrews. Here they are again. This is as different as you can get from the, the fear and trembling and, 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 and gloom and darkness of Sinai. The body to which all people are called is called the assembly or the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the assembly, means the church, it is the heavenly or eschatological, which means the the last things when Christ returns, gathering of all who have been saved for eternal life. The closest thing to that on earth is this church, local churches. The closest thing to that ultimate assembly is the local church. God is the judge of all. Recalls earlier warnings about his final scrutiny and accountability. Those referred to as the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I think that means those who have reached the end of their earthly pilgrimage, whose souls are now in heaven and Zion where God is. And it's a crescendo that builds to this wonderful statement. Believers on earth are already enrolled as citizens of heaven. And even now, you belong to the ultimate assembly of God's people. Because you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to his sprinkled blood. And then it closes with the phrase, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel." We'll get to this in, in Genesis Hebrews 11, Abel's faith uh, put him into the category of the righteous who suffered and died for their faith and who are now perfected by the blood of Christ. And Abel's faith enabled him to experience something better than he could have hoped for because the blood of Christ was a better sacrifice than Abel. Now, I've given you some of the details there, and I think it's good to Reflect on the, the riches of these uh, details. One of the things you can do, and you can ask us about this, if you want to go back to any of these passages and explore the richness of the details, I mean, every phrase has got a wonderful truth in it, and hopefully that will have whetted your appetite. We are very happy to point you to some Bible books, that, books on the Bible that help you just dig up some of that treasure. It would be great, for example, to spend your summer holidays going back over Hebrews 12, And just digging up all that wonderful stuff. Let's try to come up above the trees though now. If the experience back then at Sinai was one of fearful divine holiness without a mediator and a voice of God so frightening that the people begged that the voice would stop. Compare that to what you have come to On Mount Zion and the city of the living God, to the myriads of angels, to the assembly of the church in heaven and on earth, to God the judge of all, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to his sprinkled blood. Christians at conversion. Do not come to an earthly mountain to meet God. There is no geographic center. We come to a heavenly city, a heavenly assembly, a divine judge, but most importantly of all, to a mediator whose blood shed for our sins. Now, here's a wonderful little contrast. The most explicit contrast, I think, in the text between these two experiences is that at Mount Sinai, verses 19 to 20, the speaking of God was such that the people said, no more, I cannot hear and bear to be in the presence or close to the presence of the The fire of a holy God and to hear his pure, holy voice. But in the Christian experience, the voice we hear is the voice of the sprinkled blood of a mediator. Now, what's the voice? Is the voice Jesus? Or is the voice his blood? What does the text say? We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks. Now, I think what Hebrews is saying was when we hear Jesus speak through his word, the most beautiful speech is... What his blood says to us. What does his shed blood, as you see him on the cross, say to you that I love you, that I forgive you, that I have purchased you, that I have cleansed you, that I will protect you, that I will keep you, that I will always be there for you? His blood speaks, he speaks of his blood so in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what then are we to do? In our weariness, in our struggles in our temptation to flirt with sin, to go in a direction that is so clearly wrong. When we're laid down with weights and distractions, see, verse 25, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, the word refuse there is refuse. The, the tender, caring, blood speaking of Jesus. For if they did not escape at Sinai when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And there's a beautiful combination in these words of a right, holy, inspired fear of refusing Jesus and a beautiful appeal from the cross and his blood as to why on earth you ever would for anything. Now, number two, the contrast is between shaking and more shaking. At that time, his voice shook the earth at Sinai, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. And the shaking on the earth at Sinai, when God came down and literally he shook the mountain, is contrasted with a promise and the references from Haggai about another shaking, a bigger shaking, not just the shaking of a mountain on the earth, but the shaking of the whole earth and the heavens, the universe that God has created. Everything that we have read about in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 has gone, it's fallen, and God will, uh, as it were, and try and imagine this, uh, take this whole earth, this whole universe, and shake it. And where do you want to be when he does that? in Zion, the city of God, which will not be shaken when everything else is shaken to its very uh, core. And the motivation for us is that one day, everything that is unstable and precarious and dangerously volatile about this world will be removed. All that will be left will be the unshakable kingdom of God. And it's not that God just doesn't shake his kingdom at the end. When God shakes the whole universe, the one fixed point in it, the one thing that will not move is his people because they are secure and they are sealed and they are safe. And uh, what the writer of Hebrews is saying look, if you're not in the kingdom of God, you desperately need to be while it is time. And if you are in the kingdom of God, nothing, nothing will shake you, nothing will uproot your feet from that solid foundation. Where you uh, stand. And what are we to do? Verse 28 Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And don't read that as, uh, don't, (laughs) um, come on, you need to be more grateful. It's not saying that. Just let us be thankful. Thank God. Thank God I'm on that ground. Thank God my heart and home is in the city of God. And worship him with reverence and all. And Hebrews chapter 13 will show us about a dozen ways that we can worship him. Because at the end of Hebrews, our hearts are saying, look, I want to worship you. Can you help me? And show me how. And back to what we know about God and his purposes. Our God is a consuming fire at the very end. Now, our God is a consuming fire, does that leave us frightened or comforted? I mean, it's quite a strong statement. Our God is a consuming fire. And I think it's saying that when God comes again in Jesus in that big shaking of the heavens and the earth, the fire that they saw at Sinai is nothing to the fire that will consume And burn forever in eternal hell. Is that motivating us with fear or comfort? Well, it depends. If you trust the promise of his unshakable kingdom and set your heart on it and lay up treasure there, then the fire of God will consume everything that you have already left behind. It will not consume you because you are in the unshakable kingdom. But if you reject the one who speaks from heaven, unlike, I don't know, plenty characters in the Bible, Esau prefer the fragile, shaky kingdom of this world, and you will be consumed for eternity in the fire of God. Not because he wants to, Because there cannot be any other consequence of being in the presence of a holy God without a mediator or a saviour. So listen to the voice of God who speaks by the blood of Jesus. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will accept you. I will protect you. I will keep you. I will give you an unshakable home. I will always be there for you if you trust me. So trust him. Come into his kingdom. And if you are, as many of us are in the kingdom, well, listen to the voice. I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you. I have accepted you. I have and will protect you. I have and will keep you. I will shake the earth and the heavens, but you will not move an inch because you are safe in me. Let me conclude with the testimony of someone who has got to the end of the race. Some of you will know the name uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller uh, died on Friday of this week. And he was a, a man that God used very singularly in the 20th and 21st century um, across the world. He was the founder of the Gospel Coalition His co-founder was a man called Don Carson. These two men, Don Carson and Tim Keller, uh, took time every few months to be in touch with all of us in Scotland over the last 10 years, just to encourage us. They were gentle, they were lovely, they were humble. And um, uh, he died um, after three years of um, pancreatic cancer. Um, In 2021, uh, Tim Keller spoke on a podcast about his experience with terminal cancer and how it focused his spiritual life. And he wrote this, said this I think the way I handle imminent death or any crisis in life is by fighting my sin, realizing that God is making me more holy. That's Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. And seeking deeper communion with God. It's very striking. And he quoted uh, then and since from John Owen and his commentary on Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. We are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at his unspeakable love. And what he means, I think, is look at Jesus on the cross dying for you as your mediator and all the safety you have in him. Consider him. That's Hebrews. But the other side of that is listen to him. Listen to him speaking through his blood. Listen to him speaking through his word. And here's a comment from Keller on the Word of God. And uh, we started off the sermon, and I was encouraging you to buy two highlighter pens. Why work so hard with the Word of God? Why have it open on your laps? Why study it every day? Here's why Keller says... God's word is God's power. God's word is not like our word. We say something, then we have to do it. God's word is his active power. And when you hear God speaking to you in his word, when you study his word, when you hear his voice to you in his word, that is his power coming into your life. That is His reality coming into your life. And so, to you, weary Christian, walk on with Jesus, listening to His Word. And since you trusted in Him, and forevermore, you will never walk alone. And to you who are not a Christian and frightened by God's word, believe in Jesus. And you will be safe. And you will never walk alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that these treasures and truths from Hebrews will be stored away in our hearts. For surely all of us can testify that we will really, really need them. And for those who read them right now, as we consider Him and listen. To his word and listen to the blood that speaks. We will walk on, safe and secure and never alone. And help us, Lord, to see it's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and all these people around me here this morning. Walk on. For you never ever walk alone. And for those outside of the kingdom of God. Jesus says come in. By believing in my death for your sins to be forgiven. Come into the presence of of a holy God and let me walk with you through life and put you onto that unshakable ground now and forevermore Amen